John Lichter from Boulder, Colorado. Are there some worthwhile books that you could recommend to us? And secondly, with respect to uh, Eisner and Disney, how would you define Michael Eisner's circle of competence, and are you concerned that he might step outside it? Well, I would say that he has proven himself very good at understanding what Disney is really all about. And, I, and you can look back to the predecessor management between Walt and, 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 and uh, Eisner, and they didn't really do much with that if you, if you look at those years. It, uh, uh, you know, what, is this, what is special about, about Disney and how do you make it more special? And how do you make it more special to more people? I mean, those are the things that you want to manage. And you've got wonderful ingredients to work with when you're working with something like Disney. I mean, it, uh, uh, you know, one of the advantages we were talking about, about the, the Mayo Clinic and brain surgeons, and the nice thing about the mouse is that he doesn't have an agent. You know, I mean, the mouse is yours. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, uh, he's not in there renegotiating and, you know, every, every week or every month and saying, you know, just look at how much more famous I've become in China, you know, or something. And, uh, so if you own the mouse, you own the mouse. And Eisner understands all of that very well. I, I would say he's been very skillful in terms of uh, how he's thought about it. I worry about any manager. It has nothing to do with Michael Eisner. But uh, we, we, Charlie and I worry about ourselves in terms of getting out of our circle of competence, and we've done it. Uh, it is very tempting, and it's it's probably part of the human condition in terms of hubris or something that if, you know, that if you've, as Charlie would say, if you you know if you're a duck floating on a pond and it's been raining and you're going up in the world after a while you think it's you and not the rain you know that uh, there's, <laughs> that you're some duck, but uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and we all succumb to that a little bit, but I I I think that. Uh, I think Disney, Coca-Cola, July, I think those companies are very focused. I think our operating units are very focused, and I think that gives us a huge advantage over the managers that are getting a little bored and decide that they better fool around with us or that to show just uh, how talented they really are. Charlie? Yeah. Eisner is quite creative, and he also distrusts projections. And that is a very good combination to have in the motion picture business. <laughs> yeah, Charlie was a lawyer for, uh, uh, what, 20th century in the yes. old days? Yeah, and he saw a little bit of how Hollywood operated and it kept us out of buying any motion picture stocks for about 30 years. He'd, every time I'd go near one, he'd regale me with a few stories of the past. So it's, it's a business where people are can trade other people's money for their own significance in, the, in their world. And that is a dangerous combination where if I can buy significance in my world with your money, you know, there's no telling what I'll do. <laughs> Part of the business reminds me of a, an oil company in California. and It was controlled by one individual. And people used to say about it, if they ever do find any oil, that old man will steal it. And, <laughs> The motion picture business, it's only about half of it that has normal commercial morals. Mm -hmm. no, we're, not, we're not applying that to Disney. <laughs> no. Disney, Disney is really, uh, Disney's done an extraordinary job for the shareholders. And they, they make real money out of movies. Most, most movie companies, have, they've made money for everybody associated with it, but, but not a lot is stuck to the shareholders. Zone two? Well, oh, the books. Charlie, what are you reading these days? 
Well, I'm almost ashamed to report because uh, I've gone back and, and picked up the part of biology that I put up, should have picked up 10 or 15 years earlier. And if any of you haven't done it, it's a total circus what they figured out over the last 20 or 30 years in biology. And I, if you take Dawkins, the selfish gene, and the blind watchmaker, I mean, these are marvelous books. And the, there are words in those books that are entering the English language that are going to be in the next Oxford Dictionary. I mean, these are powerful books. And they're a lot of fun. I had to read uh, The Selfish Gene twice before I fully understood it. And there were things I believed all my life that weren't so. And I think it's just wonderful when you have those experiences. Uh, we always say it isn't the learning that's so hard, it's the unlearning. Yeah. I made the mistake of taking Charlie up to Microsoft in December, and he became friends with Nathan Mervold, and they are corresponding back and forth with increasing fervor and enthusiasm about mole rats, and they, they copy me on all these communications, so I'm getting to see this flow back and forth on the habits of mole rats. And I really haven't found a way to apply it at Berkshire, but I, I, I'm sure Charlie has got something he's working on. About. Uh, he's gotten very interested in biology lately. At the, um, I like, I, I, you know, I've always liked reading biography, but since the, the computer's changed my life, I, I now find myself playing bridge on the computer about 10 hours a week, and unfortunately, I didn't want to give up sleep or eating, uh, or, or, or Berkshire, so the reading has been kind of light. On, on investment books, if you're asking about that, I would, I would recommend the first two books that Phil Fisher wrote uh, back around 1960, Common Sense and Uncommon Profits, and the sec second one, those are very good books. You know, I obviously recommend first and foremost The Intelligent Investor with chapters 8 and 20 are the ones that you really should read. Two of the, th well, all of the important ideas in, in investing really are in that book because uh, there's only about three ideas, and those two, two of them are emphasized in those two chapters. At, uh, uh, actually, I think John Train's Money Masters is, a, is an interesting book. Uh, uh, I don't know, can you think of any others, Charlie, that we want to tout? <laughs> I don't know. We have such a fingers and toes style around Berkshire Hathaway. You know, you just sort of count. And yeah. I've, I've never seen, you know, we, Warren talks about these discounted cash flows. I've never seen him do one. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah. If it isn't, there are some things you only do in private, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> If it isn't blue-perfect obvious that it's going to work out well if you do the calculation, he tends to go on to the next idea. Yeah, it, it's sort of auto, I, it, it is true. You don't if you have to if you have to actually do it on with pencil and paper, it's too close to think about. I mean, it ought to just kind of scream at you that you've got this huge margin of safety. I mentioned the three ideas. The three ideas I, I should elaborate on. One is that the think of yourself, the think of investing as owning a business and not and not buying something that wiggles around in price. And, and, and uh, the second one is your attitude, which ties in with that, the attitude toward the market that's covered in Chapter 8. And if you have the proper attitude toward market movements, it's an enormous help in securities. And the, the final chapter is on the margin of safety, which, uh, which means uh, don't try and drive a 9,800-pound truck over a, a bridge that says, you know, capacity 10,000 pounds, but go down the road a little bit and find one that says capacity 15,000 pounds.